Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Return to the Realm. I'm Caillou, here with Alex and Leah, and today we're going to be covering chapters 5 through 9 of Madship. Um, last time was sort of just, as all of our intro episodes are with the short-ass prologues and whatever, we're we, we just covering some ground, establishing stuff, but we did get some interesting new point of views from the Rainwilders and catching up on Kenneth and uh, the, la the loss of his leg now. So in this section, we're going to be seeing some of the aftermath of that and getting some other new perspectives, uh, namely what's going on in Jamila and what's going on with Satrap. Uh, or Satrap. I don't know how to pronounce that notably because I've just read the word. Um, but yeah, before we get into all of that, a reminder that this is a spoilers all podcast, not just for this book, not just for this trilogy, but for all 16 books in the realm of the Elderling cycle, or whatever you want to call it. So, if you haven't read those, do that, then come back and watch us. Or if you want spoilers, we can provide that too. <laughs> and we usually do within the first, I don't know, 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, just... So we're talking about Madship. Anyways, Fitz. Yeah, right. reminds me of that time yeah, when The Fool and Fitz and Night Eyes did this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first chapter in this section is Chapter 5, The Liveship Ophelia. So we get to see what's going on with Althea, and um, there's a little bit of romance between her and Greg, but also a lot of practical issues that Althea is worried about, about returning to Bingtown, and what her prospects are there in terms of uh, getting uh, Vivacia back from Kyle and dealing with her family. I love how aggressively um, Ophelia ships Alfie and Greg. I think it's so cute. Mm -hmm. And later on, Honestly, he like, okay. screams, Kiss her, you booby! I thought that was so funny. I laughed out loud. <laughs> Okay, but she she's she Ophelia goes a little too hard in my opinion. She's like, the problem must be with you. And I'm like, come on now, chill. She's not wrong though, because I think that if she wasn't already hung up on Brashen, I think that she would have liked Greg and I think she would have accepted him. I think that she, think she already liked, liked Greg, but I think Brashen like too much to even like really consider looking outside of that she also it's not even just that though i feel like it's just like the arc like greg as a person is just not like the type of person that althea althea wants someone like more adventurous someone more willing to meet her where she is at i think greg is like not those she things. also wants somebody like that's not as nice i think he's too nice for her <laughs> you know well, I mean? that's probably just some like inner demons of hers that she should work through like yeah i think that she if she i think if she was a couple years older she would realize that greg is the like right match and that she yeah. could grow to have a very deep and like strong love with him she just doesn't have that fiery passion with him right now and thinks that, like, it'll never happen. Right. 
Uh, see, I don't even think that, like, I think that, that that's the reason that I don't think Greg would be right. I don't think either of them are wrong. I think they're just, like, they're, they're people who are just not, like, right for each other. I think that's, that's kind of what I really like about this thing is because it's, like, I feel like lots of times when, like, navigating this sort of thing, these sort of romances in other books, there's a lot of, like, red flags or, like, toxic messages coming up as a result. But I think here it's just, like, yeah, Grack's really cool, and Brashen's really cool. And it's just, like, I'm more attracted to Brashen, and we're just, like, we're more compatible people. And, that, and like, not, nothing against you, but, like, that's we just wouldn't work out. And, like, I feel like they handle it in a really mature way in the end. Yeah. So, yeah. I do think... But, yeah, still, I, Greg is such a sweetheart. I love yeah, him. I, I still think that they could have been a good match. Even if they weren't the best match that Althea and Brashen are, I think they still could have been really good together. And I think that I really admire Greg's, like let's plan and be practical first and then the passion can come later because i think that's a very traitor way of thinking and i think that althea would have appreciated that kind of direct honesty from him if she already wasn't wrapped up with ration yeah i don't know she she even appreciates the honesty she like i think she literally says like i like i like how direct you mm -hmm. are i think the problem is sort of like he's not willing. the not the fact not the fact that he's not just the fact that he's planning, but also, like, the... He doesn't consider plans that Althea is, like... Like, he doesn't consider the plans that Althea wants. Like, or in the sense of, like, Althea's, like, did you ever think about, like, you leaving your life ship and coming with me on Vivacia, rather than the opposite way around? And he's like, whoa, I'd never thought mm -hmm. of that. And it's like, come on, dude. I just think it's wild that she, like says all that and then she does leave vivacia for another ship another live ship it's just not the ophelia which mm -hmm. i think ophelia would have been a much better match just because she's not super temperamental and like <laughs> they could play cards together and they'd have a good time i think mm -hmm. if althea didn't have brashen and the circumstances were different her and greg could have been fine but we know that her, like, heart lies with Brashen, so. It definitely does. Because she spends this entire chapter trying to forget about him. And then the second that Greg, like, sprinkles some tea on Brashen, she's like, oh, wait, what? What's going on? And, like, mm -hmm. is so eager and to get more information. In some ways, I think... Greg is actually, like, a better match in terms of what's sensible for the Vestrit's current situation. Definitely. But, like, like, if Althea was putting her family before anything, she would marry Greg. But... Althea doesn't, she, think, she thinks that she cares about her family the most, but she cares most about what she wants. And then if she can get what she wants, then she'll make sure her family 
she doesn't know how like dire her family's finances are in the sense of like she's been gone for like almost a year. Her thing, her... Yeah, and her thing is shit's bad, but it can't be that bad, right? Because I think her thing is Kyle is still out there and he's going to be bringing the family money. She she's kind of worried that she's she doesn't have anything to offer. She's like I'm broke. I don't have anything. The Um, yeah, I I really one thing talking about Ophelia because I think that uh, I really love the interaction between Ophelia and Althea, and there's a section where it's like uh, the advice she offered Althea was often startling to her, yet it frequently reinforced views Althea had privately held for years. Althea had not had many women friends. The tales Ophelia had shared with her had made her realize that her dilemmas were not as unique as she had believed. And I really like that section because like it reminded me. Uh, I don't know if I actually mentioned this on the show before. Uh, I'm bi, and having like, and I didn't have like queer friends for like a long time, and and then finding some of those, and then realizing that like, lots of like, the thoughts and like, like events and like stuff that's happened to me were like, like not unique experiences was like super validating <laughs> and great. Thought. And like, <laughs> yeah. wait, no, rude. That's not what I meant. But that's what I yeah. thought of when the, I saw the notes the about Althea. I'm like. Yeah, I mean, we all go through these and have these thoughts and feelings. It's not just you because you don't have people to share it with. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, like, especially true for, like, quote-unquote minor- minorities when it's, like... And, and, like, another thing was, like, because I was brought up in, like, a like international context in terms of, like, in feeling disconnected from my... Uh, like national identity and then like going and then being in a place where like there's a bunch of other people like yeah you know like that is a totally weird feeling and i get that so like yeah i just feel like it can be yeah it can be really easy to get into your own head about some of these things and be like man i guess i this is just shit that only i go through and it's like no no these are experiences that are relatable yeah it's like not very comparable in the sense that like what you're describing with your experiences and what Althea are describing are more like dire but I felt that way when I watched the show um oh my god what is it called it's on Hulu but it's like these two girls and they're like in their 30s now but they're playing Pen fifteen, yeah. Like I was watching Pen fifteen, and I was like, I would, I remember being as weird as these two, but I thought that like I was just a weird kid, and it's like, no, we were all weird kids. Like obviously, if these scenarios are on TV and these people experienced it, and so many people can mm-hmm. relate, we all were just weird kids, but we all thought we were the weird ones. No, mm-hmm. it's like no, no experience is unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, looping back around to when Greg was talking about Brashen, uh, it may be kind of sad because Althea was like self-flagellating. She's like, oh, 
I was so stupid. How could I get with Brashen? I acted like a slut, and I'm like, no, Althea, come on, please. Purity culture is ingrained deep in her. Just because of Kefria, though. I don't think that, like, if she approached her mom, I don't think that it would have been... Well, if she approached Veronica, it might still have been the same. But I think if she had someone like Ophelia during that time, it would have been much different. And the way that she thinks about herself would be so different from how she is now because of her experience with Kefria's first, like, reaction. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's also, like... I think, like, another, like, axis on which, like, Althea's being messed up by, like, cultural views of femininity here, where she's, like, she talks about she did not want them to see her as weak or and needy, but as a strong person who would make the best of her opportunities. And earlier in the same chapter, she talks about, like, there's, like, a weakness that passes for femininity in Bingtown. And I think that's, that's true. There's sort of, like, this Chalcedian, Jamilan, like, idea of femininity that's, like super toxic but almost like in an effort to like distance herself from that althea is like i'm going to do everything myself and i'm going to be super independent it's like no you're allowed to rely on Mm -hmm, other people that doesn't make you like weak or like needy that's just how society works we form communities althea It's good to see that she does form a nice community for herself in the end, but watching her in the middle is a little rough. Yeah, I feel bad for her. Mm -hmm. Like, when she's talking about how she doesn't have female friends and, like, friends that will give her advice but also hold her accountable for choices she makes, I was like, that's, like, basic friendship. She doesn't have any friends at all. Yeah, it's like depressing. I feel bad for her that she doesn't have that experience because that would feel very isolating. Like, not only has she been, like, ousted from her family for the most part or, like, disinherited, basically. They didn't do it. They, like, have you guys heard about the quiet quiet firing phenomenon? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's quiet quitting, but there's also quiet firing now where, like, they'll take responsibilities away from you and, like, treat you bad until you quit. That way they don't fire you and have to pay you severance. severance. Yeah. Um, I feel like her family, like, quiet fired her. (laughs) Yeah. Except it wasn't super quiet with that, like, fight outside of their house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to do it to Malta, too, now. Yeah, Jesus, Ron. No friends, no family. Like, I feel so bad for her. She's totally isolated. I think that her dad was really the only, like, friend and family that she had. And when she lost him, she literally lost everything. And Mm -hmm. she would have at least had Vivacia to help, and they could go through it together, but... She lost that, too. Mm-hmm. This made me think of, like, I think another reason maybe that, like, 
Althea maybe like subconsciously does not like like the idea of practicality and planning is because every time her family has like applied it, it's always been Against like her. in a way that yeah, or in a way that doesn't consider like her emotions mm-hmm. or feelings. So she's like Sure, practicality has its place, but not in, like, my life. I have the things I want or need. So, like... I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Is there anything else? I don't think I had any other notes for this one. No, My last thing is, like, plot-wise, we see the Chalcedian pirates for the first time. Or, like, not really pirates, but they're patrol ships. But the fact, they've been, like, sort of hush-hush mentioned a few times, but no one's believed that Jamila would actually hire Chalcedians as, like, patrol ships. But I think seeing it up close and personal really lays down the foundation for, like, what is the Satrap doing? Which is a pretty good segue into Chapter 6. Satrap Cosgo. This is the first time that we actually get a insight into what's going on in the governing of Jamila, which is honestly pretty much nothing. Yeah. Uh, the Satrap is essentially on drugs all the time. He's a whiny, horny, spoiled, little stupid child. Um, and it's all Cyrilla can do to, like, keep herself safe while also, like, keeping the entire, like, it's not a kingdom, but the entire, like, country plus running. Um, it's just a less violent version of Regal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is, he does get Regal with no backbone. Yeah. Yeah. Regal actually had decisiveness in a spine. Osco has neither. Regal was a little less whiny, too. Like, Regal would just set his mind to something and do it. The Satrap, like, wants other people to do everything for him, and then nothing is his fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Regal did get, like, whiny when he was, like, in a smoke. Yeah. But, like, like, I guess, like, vindictively whiny. Like... Oh, my mom won't warn me about you. I've got to kill you. To the king took everything from me, so I'm going to kill him too. You know, Cosgo's like Cirilla. Why won't you fuck me? <laughs> He's so gross. He's so like she. I feel like she went all out making him gross. Like it's almost r- to a ridiculous level. He has absolutely no redeeming quality. Like. Even Regal sometimes would say something funny, or, like, he has, like, <laughs> just desserts, you know? Like, it's fun to watch him get eaten by that ferret at the end. Like, there's nothing going for the Satrap. It's like, he's gross, he, like, poops and pukes all the time, he's got, like, sallow, sweaty skin, he's, like, just disgust. He they, She describes his, like, Thin little mustache. Oh yeah, sweaty upper lip and like, oh, mm-hmm. he's just so gross. Yeah, 
And he doesn't get better. Like, I don't remember him changing. Like, I think he just goes back to his normal no. self once he gets rescued. He gets ever yeah, so slightly yeah. better because Malta, like, bullies him so hard. But it's not that much better. And it's not that it comes from within. I think he doesn't get eaten at the end of the series is my biggest disappointment. Yeah. Like, every other series we end with, like, it's we end with, like, the annoying people getting eaten. Like, we have Regal, we have Hest. Like, why couldn't Satrap Costco? I would have loved Martin to have him. him. Please. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that. Or, like, one of the serpents. I won't mind. I'm not picking. Yeah, at a little variety. Yeah, let somebody eat him. Maybe they can share. Except I don't think that's something they do, but still. <laughs> the only time that Costco will be valued is just all the serpents going for me, for yeah. me. <laughs> They're the um, seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine? 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 But yeah, like in the comparison to Farseer, it really felt like Hob was like I need to make it super clear that I'm actually anti-monarchy because I'm not sure how many people got that in Farsi. Yeah. So, like, let's crank it up to 11. Speaking of Farsi and stuff, I think it's so funny how the countries to the south of the, like, northern countries always think that they are, like, barbaric and backwards. Like, Bingtown thinks this of the Six Duchies, and Jamilia thinks this of Bingtown. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody thinks they're so much better than the people who are north of them. Always, which is so weird. Yep. And then the Six Duchies thinks that way about the mountains at some point. Mm -hmm. and, the and then Charles said that... Yeah, and Charles said definitely thinks that way about six duchies, from what I remember of Everybody, and they are most definitely the worst and the most wrong. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. They are not correct in any form until they get burned down from the dragons. Mm -hmm. I guess, like, my last, like, note slash feeling about this chapter is like Cirilla I think is one of the most interesting characters in this series just because I feel like it's a character that I feel like like I think there's like characters where like okay this needed to be a point of view character or whatever but I feel like Cirilla is not like one of those but in giving her giving us her as like a point of view character it like adds really interesting context for like the decisions and stuff that she makes later and like I feel like she's one of the mo most, like, complex characters because, like, there's lots of times where, like, you, you feel sorry for her and, like, you want stuff to go better for her, but also, like, she's fucking over Bingtown so hard. And it's just, like, the frustration of, like, oh, my God, like, I get why you're doing this, but don't. Yeah. Is, like, is, the uh, is I think, like, really well captured in how her, like, arc plays out. I think without her perspective, she would have just become, like, a lesser villain. But because yeah. we see it, we can, like, understand why she makes the decisions, but it does not make her decisions correct or make her a better person. It's just we kind of get why she's doing it. Yeah. 
I agree. Okay, next up we've got chapter seven, A Bingtown Trader's Daughter. Um, so in this chapter, it's basically uh, the formal, I guess like you would call it like engagement party kind of for um, Malta and it's Rain. The They're just hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to be honest, I think I was kind of annoyed with the amount of like gifts and things that the Cooperses brought to the house for Malta. Like, I was like, this is so extra. Like, you definitely shouldn't have done all of this. Why? You were told not to do all of this and you just went around it and did everything. Yeah, and, and Johnny keeps being like, oh yeah, I'm not trying to flaunt my wealth, I promise. And it's like, come on now. Yeah. Like, this is like the third time. All of my notes for this chapter were me bitching about Ronica. Same. <laughs> Literally same. She, it's her and Devad. I can't yeah. stand both of them in this section. I was getting, like, so irritated because Ronica kept complaining internally about Devad, but then not doing anything about it. Like, that's such a peeve that I have in literature and in, like, real life when, when anyone complains about something that's, like, easily changeable or fixable, and they just don't. This this is me, this is me with people who eat at Chick Fil A. <laughs> yeah. Like yes. don't complain about it. Like don't complain about it. Then she's just like, I wish he wasn't here. I don't like aligning myself with him. Then tell him to go the fuck away. It's not hard. But like, then when Johnny's day, like, oh, you shouldn't have friends like this. She stands her ground and she digs her heels in and she's like, well, I am loyal to my friends. I wouldn't give them up. You were just thinking about dishing him five minutes ago. Yeah. And don't complain like you're either and it's like and she talks about it as like a matter of pride yeah. and it's like like you're either like, gonna be it, it isn't isn't it like more embarrassing and like takes away from your pride to be associated with someone right. like him like, like you don't like him and he's not nice like he's not he's a good so person serving. he's yeah. self-serving he's annoying he has no social cues and he blames it on his wife being dead and her not being there to teach him and train him and like be the puppet master behind him like yeah. that is no excuse for acting the way that he does especially for years because you know it's not like it's been i think what like 20 years or something since the blood plague mm -hmm. so he had a lot of time to learn and grow up himself but he just doesn't want to yeah he refuses to it, like doesn't he like he talks about his niece and like he had someone he has family alive they just don't He's talk like, to him oh, because like He's such a tremendous oh, ass. She hates me. Yeah. And he's crying. Yes, so some comment I made about her husband. Yeah, it's like, learn like, from your mistakes. Like, read the room. I don't know. It's so annoying. I'm, I think Ronica either needs to, like, actually be his friend and be his friend. Or not. Because it's so irritating. <laughs> like... I mean, I think the Devad is like a literal like mini representation of the state of Big yeah. Town, and like Ronica's relationship with it, where she's like, 
Well, I'm super passive and I won't do anything about it. That's but hard. I'll just think about like, oh, it's so sad. Kind of sucks. Anyways. I was annoyed during this section, so I kind of flipped through the book to the end. And I got to the section where he dies and I was like, oh my god, this is going to be so great. I didn't know what happens in this book. And also, did you guys know that Tintaglia, Tintaglia gets released in this book too? Because I had no freaking idea. I thought yeah. it was the next one. I thought it was like um, the beginning of the next book. She gets out and Devad dies in this one. So we've got a lot of good things coming. I think Devad might die in chapter yeah. 32 because in our... <laughs> Just because Jared's Jared talking said, about like, it? Yeah. I don't think he'll be doing much of anything anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm assuming that's when he dies. Thank goodness. I cannot have another I book was, with him. I was relieved because he was so annoying. And like, I don't like feeling cringe or secondhand embarrassment. It's like why I could never watch the UK version of The Office. Because it was just so cringy. And that's the humor of it, I guess. But, like, Devad makes me feel cringe feeling. So I feel uncomfortable whenever I'm reading, like, a scene with him in it. Yeah, Hob does that so, so well. She does, yeah. He does a lot of things well. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I think he's, like, a great character because I feel like everyone has known someone like Devad in their life. It's like, it hits a little too close to home. Um, anyway, speaking of assholes, uh, Kefria at the start of the chapter is like, nevertheless, he is not an evil man nor selfish about Kyle. And she's like, he's mean, but he's not like that bad. And I'm like, oh my god, Kefria. Don't you remember he beat your son? Like, stuff. Yeah, remember when he clocked your son out and made him just decked him and made him pass out for literally doing nothing. Like, Wintro did nothing to provoke that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fact that Kefri is still defending him is so frustrating. I think that it's not that she's defending him. I think it's more that she doesn't want to talk badly about, like, the father of her kids in front of them. Because I feel like I feel like she knows better, and she knows that Kyle's, like, this shitty guy, but she doesn't want to turn Malta against her even more because she's talking badly about Kyle. I think she's... Hey, speaking about her children, this reminds me, where, the, where is Selden? Where is Selden while all of this Still is going Still not here. On? We've had no mention of Selden in this whole book yet. Because he's not a character, really, right now. We're, he's... we're like, how far? I'm on page 182. And no, no, even mere mention of Selden. Yeah. I want someone to make one of those, like, lost pet signs for Selden. <laughs> where, like, if found, call. If found, Please do not found. call Ronica and Kefria because they do not care. <laughs> or Kyle because he's a terrible father and would beat a son. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I only probably pass him off to Amber at this point. Because Amber? I feel like there's a better way. Yeah. If I had to have somebody to take care of me in this trilogy, I would pick Amber. Yes. Amber's the only sound one. Amber's the only reasonable one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I 
Which is interesting because like Amber's definitely got like her own shit going on, but she's just like with other people, she like she like she knows like how much of her own shit to put onto other people, which I feel like everyone else in this book has like no filter with regard to that. Yeah, definitely. They either bottle everything up. Which is really funny to say about the character who's like manipulating events to change the course of history, but yeah. yeah. I think everyone else either bottles everything up like Paragon and Brashen, or they like explode during times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which also is like Paragon. Yeah, that's true. Back to this chapter, I love seeing Malta lecture and reprimand Kefri and Ronica about the way that they're planning on, like, dressing and stuff for Rain's first visit. It was very refreshing. And she finally got a little bit of recognition, at least from her mom, by when she says, this girl has sense, Malta, I'm sure you've seen to the heart of it. It pleases to hear me. It pleases me to hear you speak. So, like, it was very nice to have her be acknowledged in some way for doing something right. And I loved that. Um, and then Ronica, on the other hand, is so harsh. She's like, mm, I wonder, this might be a good opportunity for us to dump Malta off on the Cooperses. And then she's like, oh no, she's a Vestrit problem. That conniving little wench. And it's like, that's your fucking grandma. A dangerous liability. Yeah. Like, and Malta's just proven that she's, like, you know she's smart, but, like, she is acting this way because her whole life up to this point, Ronica and Kefri have been just, like, ignoring her or not giving her any credit for anything she does. So... If a kid's treated like that, they're going to do anything they can do to get attention. And Malta behaving doesn't get her any attention. She only gets attention from the adults when she acts out. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those things where, like, Malta is an asshole, but, like, lots of teens are assholes. And they grow out of it. And Malta grows out of it literally in the space of, like, less than a year in this series. There's nothing that... And it, she, it, could, it could have happened faster if, like, Ronica didn't, like, treat her like an yeah. alien. There's nothing that Malta does that, like, is beyond what a normal teenager would do or think. Yeah. Especially one that is being, like, emotionally abused by her grandmother. Well, and Ronica considers physically abusing her in this section. She said sometimes Ronica thought the only way to do that would be with a strap, like thinking about how to kind of like teach Malta a lesson and like put her in her place. Yeah. Like, are you actually kidding me? You were so gung ho against Kyle when he beat Wintro, but now you're thinking of doing the same to Malta? Like, how does that make you any better than Kyle? Like, I have you no don't. patience for Ronica anymore. Like, she is definitely my least favorite character right now. I just cannot stand her. Hashtag Team Malta. Yeah. It's so funny. Okay, my no, first I'm read, gonna... I liked Ronica. I'm not going that far. I loved Ronica. Yeah. I know, and, and now, now I hate I'm like, her. You're the fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah, she's just... 
she's like an example of like I actually this is a weird this is a weird like um, connection I'm about to make, but like uh, I feel like in the wake of the queen's death, everyone's like, "Oh my god, she's like she was so nice. She did all of this stuff." And then it's like, I feel like it's just she just pulled off the biggest PR campaign of just like being super yeah. passive, and as a result, it's like, yeah, she's great. And it's like, no, actually, just she was passive in a she was passive in a way that like hurt a lot of people. And I feel like Veronica is pretty similar, where she's like assumed nice because, or like assumed to be good by like readers in the first thing because she's like she isn't actively doing awful stuff, and it's like she's allowing a lot of stuff, awful stuff to happen. Yeah, I just said that to my roommate the other day when she she was like, "Aw, the queen died," like, and she equated her to Betty White, and I was like, "Ah." Not speak of him in the like, same breath. Uh, actually, she was an evil bitch. I literally said that. I was like, they did a really great job in the 70s and 80s, like rebranding her to try to get the royal family to be more popular by doing those little documentaries of like showing the queen as a grandmother or whatever. And they like rebranded her as this sweet little old lady. And a lot of people fell for it, but she was like a colonialistic bitch <laughs> so I don't yeah that's a good comparison um, yeah and I okay and, and if any of y'all are monarchists in our audience what are you doing reading yeah. this book series yeah. because, come on really in the wrong area <laughs> we might not see you guys again don't let the door hit you on the way out <laughs> mm-hmm Do we have anything more we want to talk about with uh, Ronica, or can we move to the Malta? And I do have one more thing for Ronica. She is thinking to herself, if the Restorate family allowed itself to be governed by what others perceived as correct, they would lose all control of their destiny. Are that's you how she, that's how she governs herself. <laughs> exactly. She literally, that's how she governs her entire family. Because yeah. the beginning of the last book started off with her doing what she thought was best because of what everyone else would see and think. Are you actually kidding me? The reason that everybody's in this situation in the first place is because she thought that she should do what other people would perceive as correct. Are you freaking kidding me? I want to punch this old lady in her mouth. This <laughs> dowdy old lady. I cannot. She is so annoying. It's also like so weird because she's like, Devad is going against my personal morals and the morals of the family. But some other people might think it's rude if we, if we don't stop associating with him. So I shouldn't stop associating with him. It's like she she does like some crazy mental mental mm-hmm. gymnastics. At least Olympic silver, maybe gold. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's ridiculous. I cannot stand her. She's just pissing me off left and right. Same. But that's my last Ronica hatred thing for at least this section. For this chapter. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'll think of more later. Okay, so Malta and Rain. Uh, I mean, I don't really have much to say about this other than Rain is down horrendous, <laughs> like, bro. <laughs> like, 
it's so clear that he has no fucking idea what he's getting himself into or who Malta is. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, damn, girl pretty? I think that he reminds me of Edward Cullen because he's like, ever since I saw you outside the Traders Concourse, I became aware that I had a soul as well as a mind. When my brothers and sisters spoke of passion and attractions, I could not grasp what they meant. Like, that's Edward Cullen, in my mind, <laughs> to a T. So, Rain equals Edward for right now. They both have rich families. They both have secrets. Rain is Edward Cullen. And what better way to apply to some, or appeal to somebody like Malta, than being Edward Cullen-esque? Yeah. Definitely. Teenage girls love he, he just had to show that he sparkles yeah. in the sunlight. Rain actually sparkles in the sunlight because he has skills. Yes. Yeah. Alpha would be a tryhard twi hard if she And she would be Team Edward all the way. Yes. She would be Team Edward. No no no. She would be be like, I have to choose? Why can't I just have both? Yeah, oh, that is true. She would definitely she would flirt be with all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. That was my only note about them, actually. Yeah, I was. Just, the only thing I had to say is just that Rain is Rain is like so far out of his league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mulz is running circles around him, and he doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. She's acting like she doesn't know, and is so new to all of this, like courting. And flirtation and stuff like that. But she is much more knowledgeable than Rain, for sure. Yeah. Rain definitely sounds like he's been reading, like, one too many romance novels. Yeah, definitely. That's where he gets all his info. I wonder wonder if he reads, like, Elderling Romance fanfic. If that's what he he just spends his time, like, just down in the mines, like, translating... Elderling, like Lord. He's got one hand on the wall so that it lights up, and then his hand on his book so that he can read. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's such a good image. Yeah, yeah. That should have actually been um, the image for um, this book instead of Paragon. Rain reading Elderling fanfic. <laughs> Also, I have to say, when you started that out by saying one, one hand, I that's not where I no, thought it was going. No, I was not going to go so. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else for this chapter? No. Okay. We've, let's go to chapter eight, Immersions. Um, this is the first chapter back with uh, Kenneth and the gang. Also uh, known as the chapter that most people skip to after the end of last episode, <laughs> yeah. just to see what's going on with Kenneth. Um, so Kenneth like is drifting off into the skill current, and then Vivacious like grabs him and puts him back into his body along with Wintrow. Um, and I think this is honestly the juiciest chapter of the book so far, just because there's so many like telling quotes about Kenneth and and like his past and his worldview and just like I don't know if we can like capture in our discussion but I think there's just like 
almost like almost each and every line there's something to go like <gasps> at at least that was my impression while reading it yeah so if someone's paying like attention or trying to figure out things about Kenneth, you could um draw the comparison between him and paragon because it's mentioned that paragon has a seven pointed star on his chest and there's memories that we get from Kenneth when he's like in the skill current of someone carving a seven pointed star onto like his hip bone and then later he gets it seared off so it's like they're both they both have that mark and i don't remember thus far if it's been mentioned that that's egrot's mark but if it has then you could also like connect it back to that pirate too i don't think it has because they've barely mentioned egrot so far i think they might mention it later on in like Maybe maybe when Kenneth goes to, like, stow away Kyle, because that's, like, Ekrot's island. So, yeah, it really? Or it's his island, here. where Ekrot is. But yeah, Kenneth gets, like, flashbacks when they're in the, like, marshy area to get there, for sure. I didn't even think about all that, though. Definitely someone could pay... If someone liked... Kennet and wanted to know more about him and was like super intrigued with him, they definitely could figure stuff out if they were that attentive. Unless they didn't care about the Paragon sections because they're annoyed by it. But also you can see the connection and the parallel between them with the way that Paragon reacts like a child sometimes and all of these little sections that we get of Kennet also like having that inner child or like having it come out a little bit, like when he is under the fever and he's like, no, no, please, I'll be good. And like, even this section when Wintro's trying to like pull him back together. I think there's like, I wonder if this was Hobbes' intention, which I don't know how you would do this without it being your intention, but there's definitely a theme of this where no matter what you do to try to suppress memories of traumatic things that happen to you like Fitz putting it all into girl on the dragon or paragon takes a lot of it from kennett but he still he's like mostly forged but he still has these nightmares and these things still plague him like no matter how much you do that you're not gonna help yourself you're just gonna make yourself be stagnant and you can't like grow or cope or learn how to like deal with them process until you stop just denying them it's interesting because like Wintro's like on the opposite end of that right where like Wintro's like clinging on to something like a perfect moment in his life and refusing to let go of it and move on and accept it and both of those extremes end up being like negatives for each of them yeah they all need to go to therapy. They all should have gone to therapy at the beginning of the last book, and then things would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Also, like, for anyone who is still, like, not on board with the liveship dragon theories, uh, the outstretched wings of an ancient creature both sheltered and overshadowed them, yet they were unaware of it. Uh, 
is yet another like pretty on the nose thing of like Vivacia is a dragon, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Kenneth tries to go to Bolt, and Vivacia's is like, "No, I do not go there, and neither shall you," and like pulls him back. So she is aware that there is something underneath her surface, but she is, I think, too scared and doesn't want to, like, have to unpack all of that. Yeah, I think I don't even think. The waking iteration of Vivacia would be able to say that. I think it's like a subconscious, like, hope we don't allow ourselves to feel back that way. Mm-hmm. Because waking Vivacia is like super intent on like what's going on. I like touch these serpents and I have memories. Mm-hmm. I need to remember what's going on. I wonder if it's also partially bolt and she's like, I don't want to be seen just like let me sleep and pretend I'm dead because this is a worse fate than actual death um I think I remember maybe but she she seems pretty proactive when she doesn't yeah. coming out in the I don't remember when that is but I some think point. it's when Wintro falls on that serpent that he releases he like gets all of its memories and that serpent is one that remembers and Wintro figures mm-hmm. out that the wizard wood is cocooned serpents turning into dragons, and then he goes back on Vivacia, and he knows that she, like, should have been a dragon. And then during his, like, healing process, because he's in and out of consciousness, he can't, like, keep that knowledge in. To himself. So I think Vivacia learns it because of that, and then that knowledge brings Bolt out. I believe that's how it happens mm-hmm. then i think that happens that in the next book because i think the end of this one is like the epilogue is like she who remembers being free yeah yeah i, I know a wintrow like at the very end of this book does the whole freeing she who remembers i think the i think the epilogue is she who remembers like meeting up with the serpents being like hi guys <clears throat> we've got a place to go to Let's start our adventure. <clears throat> yeah, I love... There's, like, lots of context for how, like, forging sort of works. Because, like, I had, like, a vague idea, but... Like, Kenneth still has those memories. It's just sort of, like... There's no, like, emotional memory or importance attached to them. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, just harder to, like, recall them in general. Because there's no, like... Strong tie to them. Like... Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, because... I feel like the way when, like, Fitz puts his memories into the dragon, it's or into Girl on a Dragon, sorry, it just feels like he puts the memories in wholesale. But it seems like... It's instead of that, it's rather just like the emotional memory and those like actual like experiences are still in there, just inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and I feel like we get like the the closest thing to like Kenneth's like motivation in here where he's looking at like vivacia 
and uh, Winthrow, and he's talking about it was it was a love that he had been seeking all his life, a love to redeem and perfect him, that which he most he most desired. They feared and avoided, and so like it's almost like he wants a live ship just so he can have that sense of like perfect connection. my last other note for this chapter is just Wintrow after talking with Etta going, Wintrow decided he did not know enough about women. And it's just like, yeah. No shit, Wintrow. Yeah. My only other note is Wintrow talking about like after he does kind of the he like pulls Kenneth back together and brings him back. He's like, I went so deep in the trance that's never happened to me before, but Burrendal warned me. I suppose I'm lucky that I found my way back at all. Which, it's definitely the skill, and now we know that there have been monks that have drowned in the skill river, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so wild. It's also just, like, interesting that... Yeah, like, I, I feel like so much of, like, the skill training with Galen was, like, giving a name to the skill and, like, being aware of it. And it's interesting that, like, in the monastery, it's just sort of like, no, we're just, we don't have, like, a name for this, but it's just a thing we do. And yet they still have, like, I I would say same or better results. Yep. Yeah, I don't think that they have, like, the skill hunger or anything like that. Like, it doesn't seem like they are drawn to it. Yeah, Winter was just like, wow, that's a scary thing that exists. Better not do yeah. that. They probably don't... They aren't using it for their own gain as much as the Farseers are. Yeah. So I wonder if that's an element of it. Like, if you try, are trying to use it too frequently or, like, to get results that suit whatever you need, maybe that becomes more addictive because it gives like a sense of power whereas the monks are just like Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes i meditate and then i just like get lost in there (laughs) i think it could also be one of those things where like because people say that it has this effect, then it does. It's, like, kind of placebo yeah. a little bit. And because everyone's warned Fitz and is like, oh, like, it's addictive, then he goes in and is like, oh, that's why I'm feeling this way. But, like, if he hadn't been taught that way, he wouldn't have maybe felt so drawn to it. Well, we know that, like, even independent of, like, like, it, like there have been people who were untrained and then connected with the skill, and that happened to them. I think it's more just, like, a case of, like... I don't know, I just, I just feel like the, the monks are just, like, lit. Like, they just have a clear, vi- like, vision of what they're doing. It's like, 
Fitz is like, a river? Oh boy, I'm going to jump into it. Yeah, but then the, the monks are like, oh, that's a river. I'm just going to sit here and chill and watch it. Yeah. Yeah, they watch what floats past. Fitz wants to swim and be in with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lied. I do have one more note about this chapter, which is Etta, Etta when talking to Wintrow about when Wintrow's like whining about his priesthood or whatever, she's like, that part of your life is over. Set it aside as something you have finished. No being gets to decide what his life is supposed to be. And I'm like, oh, okay. She's, that's just the theme of the trilogy. That's we're just we're just dis laying that all out there. Because like I, that happens for like Althea, Malta, uh, Amber, Wintrow, basically every main character. It's just the whole, like, you get what you need and not what you want. Except for Kenneth, when he mostly gets what he wants, and then he, then dies. he dies. So. <laughs> yeah. I think also, for him, it's like, you can get the things you want, but, like, it's not all that you want. And, like, you don't get them in the way that you want them. Or, like, there are some costs along the way. Like, he definitely would have wanted to be, like, having two legs in his ideal world. And he doesn't have that when he becomes king of the Pirate Isles. Yeah. I'm hoping by, like, the end of this trilogy I have, like, a better idea of how Kenneth's story lines up thematically. Because right now, from the first time I read it, I was just like, this fucking blows. Dude, just everything good happens to him, and then he just dies at the perfect mm -hmm. time. But we'll see. Yeah, I felt that way too, but now rereading it, he is kind of miserable all the time. Like, he's paranoid. He's, like, he can't enjoy... He's getting everything he wants, but he doesn't enjoy it because he has such a bad attitude. Yeah, I think we really see his paranoia in, like, the way that Wintrow recognizes it in this section where he's like, how do I know you haven't poisoned me and stuff? And Wintrow realizes, oh, like, this guy is maybe not all there. Mm -hmm. Like, how is this dude this suspicious? Like, come on now. Yeah, he definitely, like... He warps his perspective of everything and the way that people view him and think about him because of his paranoia. And Wintro is like, Wintro realizes that he sees the world the way it's not and the way he thinks it is. And like, he tries to show Kenneth that like all these people are just loyal to you because of you. Like, they're not going to turn on you. But I think Kenneth mm -hmm. wouldn't ever realize that. It's just like so much of this series is just characters having incorrect perceptions of the world and then having those shattered. Yeah. Okay, we good to move to the last chapter of the section? Yes. Okay, so this is chapter nine, Bing Town. Uh, as an aside, I 
I'm kind of annoyed because I'm pretty sure there is a chapter with the same name last book. And I'm like, come on now. Could the oh do you have to did you have to recycle something just because of the place name? I think that we've had something like that happen in the Farseer trilogy too. Like there were two chapters that were named either the same or something very, okay. very similar in I different think I books. remember that. Yeah. I, I think, think we, we talked about it there too. Mm-hmm. I think you can only I will allow repeats once every book. If you start putting it in every other chapter or something like that, that's where I draw the line. But I think once every book isn't that bad. Right. Fine, fine. They're not even in Bingtown though. In this chapter we're on the outskirts with Paragon and Amber. That's another one of their longer conversations. Well, the Tenrias are on well, okay, their way they, they, to Bingtown, and they like go in, and Althea's right. Okay, it's kind of a I, big deal. Oh, never mind. I'm not gonna lie; I totally forgot about that because I just felt like did not have notes about <laughs> it. She should, should have called it homecoming or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what immediately caught me at the start of this chapter is Amber starts off by having a bad dream. And I'm like, okay, that is totally... Because the fool talks about like um, them having nightmares about dying on Oslovdal, like in the cold and whatever. They, they talk about that in, uh, in uh, Golden Fool. And I'm pretty sure that like that's what we're seeing here. And obviously there's like some other stuff that Amber talks about because like Amber's like... I was also, like, dreaming about dragons and serpents or whatever, but I think in that general prophetic vein, I'm pretty sure that uh, she saw her own death. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I do like in her nightmare, though, that she says, I hear your voice calling warnings and threats, but you are not you. You are someone else talking to Paragon because... Paragon's got Fitz's face at that point, for sure. And she just doesn't know that she carves him to be Fitz yet. Yep. It must be so weird to have that dream and hear Paragon's voice coming out of Fitz's face. Yeah. That must feel very strange. Mm -hmm. It's just like this doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I'm assuming it I'm assuming it doesn't make sense on this axis where it's like, oh, I'm just remembering Fitz and putting Paragon's voice to it. And it's like, no, you actually you you make Paragon mm-hmm. Fitz. You missed your boy so much, you <clears throat> made him. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought Anyways, there's I was just gonna oh, say, um, the thing that I thought was really interesting is Amber talks a lot about the dragons and the six duchies. So, like, if you're a new reader and you're paying attention and you didn't get spoiled that Amber is the fool, you might be able to figure it out here because you learn that Amber not only was in the six duchies during that time, but she has specific details. Like, the average person that was just living their lives would have seen some dragons fly overhead, 
but I doubt they'd be able to see, like, specific details about them. But she knows, like, one was striped like a cat, and one was, like, a boar with these huge tusks. Like, she knows intimate details about them, because she got up and close and was in the sculpture garden. And the boar is one that Fitz mentions being quite drawn to also. So we know that, like, yeah. Fitz and the Fool have been over there together. Mm-hmm. At the very least, like, connects Amber to, like, the far series Because the dragons did, like, touch down there before doing yeah. the whole thing. Also, like, I don't know if they mentioned this at the end of Farseer or if they mentioned this in, uh, in, like, uh, Tawnyman, but everyone who's, like, underneath the dragons kind of got, like, their memories stolen. They just, they remember the dragons, they're there, but, they like, it's, it's like super vague. Hazy. They don't remember all the details, yeah. It was in Yeah. But obviously that's not the case for the Fool, because the Fool is, like, dragon, on top yeah. of the dragons. Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of, like, like they that's how they were powered so they had to in order to like be able to keep flying because they're freaking stone in order to be able to actually stay like afloat in the air they had to continually like take from these people Mm -hmm. yeah speaking of dragons there's there's so many other hints that like life to their dragons because like Amber's like to Paragon, you are fully as marvelous as the dragons I saw. And then there's the whole sequence where like she's goading Paragon. And like, why are you so mad? Why are you so mad I'm talking about the dragons this way, huh? And like Paragon's like, well, if dragons still existed, if they did, they would hate to be grouped in with us. How do I know that? Well, I'm just saying if they existed. You know, hypothetically. If I was a dragon. Do you think that Amber, like that whole revelation where she's like, oh, it's sea serpents. Do you think that that was a real thing? Like Amber didn't know the serpents were in the water? Or is she just saying that to try and like stay on Paragon's good side and try and get more information out of him? I thought it helped something click for her. It made it sound like something clicked, but I have no fucking clue what. (laughs) Is she just like... Maybe I should be on a ship. If she was seeing serpents and didn't know that, like... Because Wintrow mentions in another... Or maybe it was Brashen. Someone mentions in the last book that sea serpents used to be so uncommon that they thought people didn't believe in them. They thought they were just legends. Mm -hmm. And now they're, like, super common because of the slave trade. So it could be that Amber doesn't know that sea serpents are real. So it didn't occur to her, like... I'm seeing these serpents, but I don't know what they are. And then Paragon says, sea serpents, and she's like, oh. That makes sense. I just don't know how you would see them. Like, are they just, like, flying by in her dream, then? How would she see them not in the water? Because it's not like they have legs. Maybe they don't. I mean, it's probably just, like, an image in the blackness. Yeah. Oh. That or, like, I know Wintro, because at the very start of the series, Wintro, like, sees a serpent in a tree or whatever. Like, and that's, like, a, the thing that he's skill images or mm. skill paints. I wonder if Amber's prophecies and stuff come from the skill, kind of. 
<clears throat> if Wintro could have that whole vision and that came from the skill, unless he's just tapping into like the past kind of, and the future comes from a different section. But I think that she did say that like Amber talks about, or not Amber, but like the fool talks about time being like this continuous circle that just like hops onto a better ring later if it's like getting better and then goes to a worse one but it's like continually cycling through so like maybe that's where they get their like prophecies from and like they can tap into a different part of the skill that like most people can't maybe i feel like there's something that like I would really want to <clears throat> look at in the reread of Fits of the Fool, because I feel like they go into some detail on, like, the mechanics TM of how yeah, it works. Yeah, especially because we've got, like, first-hand experience of these, like, prophesizing dreams with B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like the skill to me when it happens with B, but I don't know. Could also just be Wintrow being the catalyst TM in this specific yeah. section, and maybe there's just like some future shit associated that is with true. that. But Wintrow does have like very similar dreams to what Amber is describing when he's in the in the slave when he's like waiting to be processed as mm-hmm. a slave. He talks about dragons, serpents, and all of that. Yeah. So definitely, if you're if you're on top of your game, you could like connect that they both had similar dreams, and also the fact that she's looking for a nine fingers slate boy. Nine fingers so, like... and what's a slate boy? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, there's a whole thing at the end of the chapter where uh, Althea and the Teneras arrive uh, at Bingtown. But then they found find out that the uh, the Chalcedians are already there, and they're demi- demanding like a heavy like security tax, which is basically just we're gonna mob extort there's you. Secu- and there's and... patrolling because those two are separate, which is like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stupid. And so Captain Tanira gets super mad, and it's like I'm not going to pay. And they're like, cool, we're not going to let you unload your cargo. Enjoy being stuck in the bay. I love that he's like, I'm going to unleash the full power of Ophelia out on the people on the docks. Like, she can be as unruly and bitchy as she wants, and I'm just going to let it happen. Like, I loved that. (laughs) You know that Ophelia will take to that task with the Oh, for sure. And she will do it so well. Mm Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's all I have to say about this chapter. Do y'all have anything else? I don't think I had anything. No, I don't either. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks y'all for watching. Still steadily wrapping up, but I think that uh, next section we're going to be hitting some big milestones, TM, in terms of this book uh, really getting into its stride. So excited to read that and discuss it with all of y'all. But until then, Bye.
there was one thing I <clears throat> that like I recently thought about uh, live ships, um, but I didn't want to like talk about it on the uh, on the pod. Is one of my friends uh, was uh, cutting eggplant, and they accidentally snipped off the tip of their pinky. Holy shit! Um, yeah, no, it was pretty wild. Uh, Did they get it back? And or so, like, it's gone.